dust off your turquoise bracelets, chickies. And don your widest brim hat. Because this is a very special Emmy Lou Harris themed episode of KFM Country Radio. <laughs> This week I'm doing a completely Emmylou Harris related playlist. Um, the initial focus of this show was going to be just her work as a background vocalist. 
Um, and then it expanded to include her repertoire as well. But I did want to emphasize her incredible career as a talented and um, prolific background vocalist. Trying to avoid the obvious cuts while including the classics. I just removed Bob Dylan, Oh Sister, from the playlist. You guys know the song, right? You've, you've heard the song. I was like, I don't think I need to learn my, I don't think I need to learn my KFM fam on Desire Era Bob Dylan. This week I requested your phone calls on the topic of spooky stuff. Ghost stories. Um, um, I really wanted someone to call in who found the dead body as a child or something like that. I don't know if I got one. Um, I do listen to the calls as I'm recording so that I can react in real time. So I I never know what I'm going to get until it's too late. I realized, capping off my jealousy episode, that I actually never addressed, like, the most um, potent expression of jealousy I have ever been um, privy to, which were my old downstairs neighbor downstairs neighbors, uh, which were a toxic Echo Park based white trash couple named Matt and Janine, who hurled um, insults at each other with. A plum. <laughs> Actually, it was mostly Janine who rocked the house down boots. She would... Basically, he was a bouncer at the Echoplex down the street. About two blocks away from the house, he would drive there. Um, and she basically thought that he was, um, fucking little hipster. He, she thought he was this fucking waif of a man, a wisp of a man, barely there. A tall scarecrow of a man with wispy hair. (laughs) Like, everything about him, you could just... And he would just blow away like a... Like a... Like a dandelion. And she basically thought that he was fucking little girls there every fucking night. And it's like, honey, 
I think you're good. I will, um, I'll think about some of the more memorable things she ever said. Maybe I'll get Sam Zimmon on the horn. She still lives there. Though, basically when COVID happened, um, she got what she fucking wanted. Her little piece of shit, man, just sits in their apartment all day long. So, there you go, girl. Um, But she used to wake up the entire building regularly, slamming their door over and over again. One of my favorite things she ever said was, Is it little Asian titty night at the Echo? She thought he, um, she must have had some, she must have had good reason to believe that he was lining up for little Asian titty night at the Echo. Because that refrain, it was like a, it was like a hit song, you know? She played that one on repeat. And she'd be like, okay, dude. (laughs) Anyways, I got a ton of calls from you guys on the topic of spooky stuff. Let's take one of those calls right now. So my family has a house in Maine on this little lake in this little town and Stephen King does live up the road and we have a tree house in the woods up from our house Um, and about a week into being there a couple years ago one of us me I ventured up uh, to the tree house for the first time that summer to find um, a plate a cup and a knife, all from our kitchen. No. Uh, in the treehouse, and there was a decomposed, cut-up rabbit. No. And a human poop. No. And we we were all very uh, afraid. Ciao for now. No, I, oh my, oh my God, I am literally going to take a picture of my goosebumps right now. Oh my God, posting, posting a picture of my goosebumps from this first story on the Patreon page. Are you fucking kidding? That is, I'm literally like my goosebumps are. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> we are off to the fucking races. Spooksters and spookettes. Ooh, I hate that. Oh, oh, oh my fucking God. 
bro, get out of there. Bro, sell that fucking house. Um, I saw the movie X the other day. That movie sucked. Mia Goth really has it, but she is a terrible actress. First caller, um, that rocked. This next song goes out to you. Southern Pacific, a band I had never heard of. Um, love this track. From 1985, this is Thing About You, featuring our girl, Emmy Lou Harris.
So what I learned about Emmylou Harris um, while doing research for this app is that her is that she is an interloper, basically, in country. Um, which I didn't know before, but I was watching this really good documentary about the making of the Trio album, which is the album of Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, and Emmylou Harris, who all met in the 70s and then recorded you know, tried for years to link up to record this album. And it ended up taking them until the late 80s to actually put it out. But it was a huge hit. Sold like 4 million copies in the States. And um, and the documentary posits that the trio album and i actually think that this might be the case the trio album paved the way for uh like Alison Krauss Gillian Welch oh brother where art thou soundtrack like the uh return to like appalachian music in country um so we can thank them for that <laughs> Thank you, thank you so much of, like, the fake southern accent bluegrass um, trend of the early 2000s. Um, without them, we wouldn't have Gillian Welch, like, singing about, like, picking cotton from the cotton gin, like, faking <laughs> the fake ass the fake assery <laughs> um no i mean that honestly gillian welch was like my favorite musician of my teen years because i'm a loser no uh, <laughs> but but so emmy lou harris and linda ronstad linda ronstad's from arizona which is a huge part of her narrative that she basically grew up on the border of mexico so she got all these radio stations from across the border because they have these um pirate radio stations that played all kinds of music that's why that's why uh linda says she was so um omnivorous <laughs> if i may but that they were basically both like cool folk girls who idolized Dolly and um, only Emmy Lou Harris basically says that she didn't even have any familiarity with country music until she met Graham Parsons. And Emmy Lou famously was Graham's music partner um, through the end of his very short and super depressing life but i thought it was cool that she she was basically preppy girl army brat valedictorian who and do you guys know this archetype like for me um it's this kind of nerdy girl who who 
become super hot like <laughs> like when like a nerdy girl who would just go and then goes on top model and you're like oh my god cuz the pictures of her in high school it's like well that's the valedictorian and then cut to 10 years later she's got fringe leather cuffs on she's cosplaying as <laughs> indigenous <laughs> like she rocked that share she she walked that line <laughs> of being like <laughs> she paved the way for elizabeth warren to be called pocahontas by trump um so we can thank her for that as well. But I think it's cool. Basically, like, she discovered country later in life. Like me. And then became obsessed, became a student of country. And... You know, I relate to the feeling of, um, like, it, it, it chose me. It chose me, honey. Be like, when I started playing country-style music, like, 10 years ago, I, I think a lot of people, or at least a lot of people used to ask me, like, are your new songs still country? And it's like... There was never any going back. Once it got its claws in me, it chose me. There are people in the music industry who were supporters of my music before and fell off when I started doing country. Don't let the door hit you. <laughs> it's like... But knowing that, um, finding out or, or just realizing that Emmy Lou does not in any way have a Southern accent. Also just, I, I've really, I've been like fixated on people's fake, on the twang that people put on, which I think is a grand tradition actually like putting this playlist together and realizing that you know Emmy Lou Harris sings with this twang that she does not have in her speaking voice and for my own music like that was just the default when I started writing country songs now not I don't think that putting on a fake accent that there's really anything wrong with that. I don't think that's such a crime. But um, I've been trying in my new recordings to sing in my own voice and see what that sounds like. And I've talked about this before. It's like Gillian Welch is out here 
seeing like a full like Mississippi sharecropper ass like <laughs> she's fucking, like and she got flack for that. I, I remember reading a million years ago because she's from L.A. Gillian Welch, you know. She's like, the great emancipator took a bullet to the head. It's like, I've been trying to inflect a twang on my singing voice without um, doing a full Tennessee Williams play. So, tears to me, snap, big, big, big pat on the back to me. Ugh. All this to say that ba- I actually like that part of <clears throat> the fabric of country is this kind of fake it till you make it. And it works. Like, Linda and Emilio in this doc both say... That when Dolly did this, when Dolly like endorsed them, it gave them authenticity. I just think it's interesting that so much of the country tradition is about authenticity and probably the majority of people playing in the genre our fucking interloper faker ass <laughs> like like inauthenticity is as much a part of country as authenticity boom <laughs> let's take another one of your calls um i'm greer i'm calling from the hollywood hills Yes. And my spooky story, I have two really similar ones, but the first is that uh, <clears throat> summer 2014, I was in Wyoming. I was listening to a lot of Elliot Smith and mm, spooky I music. Um, was listening to that one song that's in Goodwill Hunting and I just got this like sudden feeling of like, whoa, where is Robin Williams right now? Like it was like this burning, like, hmm. where is Robin Williams right now? Is Robin Williams okay? I was like, I feel like Robin Williams is not okay. And it was like freaking me out for some reason. And the next morning, lo and behold, Robin Williams has passed away. Joe, you're joking. And I think in the same year, I think even the same summer, I had a friend who um, was telling me a lot about her friend's boyfriend who was, like, uh, not a good person, mm-hmm. abusive, bad guy. Mm. And um, it was, like, nighttime. She was telling me this. And I got suddenly another pang of, like, whoa, I feel really freaked out. And it was a very similar sensation where I was, like, like it was a feeling of, like, is the world uh running normally right now like i was like i I remember i asked her to drive me around the neighborhood because i just wanted to like Mm. see that there were people still in the neighborhood and that uh the world was like still intact because i was like i feel like something's really really wrong and um the next day we find out that uh he got hit by 
a train and died and it was like pretty oh, much to the dot at the time that I had that feeling that like something was really not okay. And um, I mm, never well. checked the timestamp on the Robin Williams one, but I bet you they align. And that is my spooky, uh, spooky story, but I've never had it again. It was just this one summer when I had a sense. Okay, that's all. Goodbye. Ooh. <laughs> so I'm just going to be getting, I'm just going to be getting goosebumps this whole time. I'm like, literally... <laughs> Um, so you're a medium, but only when you're in Jackson Hole. The medium of Jackson Hole in 2014. I have information about the Robin Williams death. It's not really my information to share. Um, Heather, <laughs> like, if you're listening, like, <laughs> will you come and share it? Or can I share it? I'm going to ask Heather. I'm going to text Heather and see if I can mention it. Um, <clears throat> or you might have to subscribe to Bimbo Summit. Patreon.com slash Heather Jewett to find out this tea i have tea on the actual cause of death of robin williams it's not it's not what is currently widely accepted um pretty cool that the shitty boyfriend died though i guess (laughs) jk I wonder how she felt, though, about the shitty boyfriend dying. Was she a little bit relieved? Was... I'm actually going to ask Greer right now if she was relieved. said um my friend was a little relieved but also it was her best friend's best friend's boyfriend she wasn't your best friend (laughs) and this is when we were teens which really like we spent four hours talking about this guy and what we should do about him and can we get the mom involved and then the clock strikes 8 p.m and i'm like something's not right he died at that exact moment do you guys believe in this shit I guess I do. Do you guys believe in hell? <laughs> um, I kind of do. That's actually where my whole Betty White bit comes from, because I used to think I could predict death, but I was wrong so many times that I was like, I need a guaranteed victim to get my group back. Yeah, um, Greer was attempting to predict the death of Betty White for a while, and then it did work, right? And it did work with Betty, right? Um, Interesting. 
Our next track on the Emmy Lou playlist is Born to Run from her album Cimarron with a C. It's the album that I think most exemplifies her uh, indigenous <laughs> like like you guys gotta see this album cover. It's very just like girl. Elizabeth Ward had this album in her dorm room, Henny.
I was Googling Emmylou Harris because I wanted to see if she did, in fact, have Native American heritage. Uh, <laughs> let's see. No, no. No, no. Her dad was missing in action in Korea in 1952 and spent 10 months as a prisoner of war. Yikes. Um, but what did come up when I Googled and just straight up Emmylou Harris was the uh, Google prompt, is Emmylou Harris nice? A nice person? The answer from a HuffPo article from 2011 is Emmylou Harris is an unspeakably nice person. Her twitches are minor. Her dogs and if they're her, her baseball, her dogs and if there's a third one I've forgotten it. After three marriages, she lives in Nashville with her mother and brother. She has a sheltered for rescue dogs in her yard. If you are a celebrity from the 70s and you don't have a shelter for animals in your home, were you even famous? Followed from Greer, I said, did your prediction work for Betty White's death? And she goes, eventually. Eventually, if you predict a death enough, the person will die. <laughs> Me and my friends can be a little morbid. And with that, let's take another one of your morbid calls. Um, hi, my name is John. I'm calling from Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, and my spooky story takes place in the summer of 2008 in the woods of northern california i was on a hiking trip with a group of high schoolers not like a bad girls hiking trip just like a fun adventure trip um (laughs) with camp counselors and we were hiking by a big mountain in a lake i forget the name of the mountain and on the second night we got to this like beautiful lake campground and we set up camp and made campfires and we, um, like, made dinner, and we were, um, like, putting up the tents and everything, and then we played, like, a bunch of campfire games. We played, like, Mafia and Murderer and, like, Charades, and we sang, like, Miley Cyrus songs. I was 16. Um, oh magical summer. Oh, and my God. We'll never forget we were, it. In the process of, like, setting up the camp, we were, like, walking around, and there were, like, one or two other people, but it was very, very desolate. This is, like, miles and miles away from the nearest road. Wow. And this one lady was, like, alone at the very edge of the lake, and we stumbled across her, and she, like, glowered at us, and we walked mm. right back to the camp. So, <laughs> like, dusk comes, the sun sets, we, like, are tired, so we go to bed pretty early, and we're in our tents, and then at, like, two or three in the morning, this, like, unbelievably loud man scream starts happening. Like, this man screaming, like, bloody murder. Like, screaming, like, help me, help me, please, somebody, (sighs) anybody, help me, help me. And it went on for, like, 15 minutes. And finally, we were, like, in our tent, petrified to go out. We did not know what was happening. I thought someone was being attacked by an animal. That was my guess, like a bear Mm. attack. And, um... (laughs) We finally were brave enough to go outside, and our count, our camp counselors were walking back from going to investigate, and they told us that what had happened was that woman that we had seen earlier had come to the lake to commit suicide, and 
her husband had found her, had like come in after and found her, and she had chosen the site where they had gotten married to kill herself, and it was too late by the time he got there, Girl. and she was dead. No. And so then the rest of the night, we like had to wait until emergency services came. So, um, more, I guess, also a very sad story, obviously, but it was very, very <sighs> creepy at the time as well. Very, very spooky. Thanks. Bye. Girl, <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are <laughs> I no? <laughs> oh my god! What? <laughs> Literally, it is that meme of like the four green guys in the pool. <laughs> And it says, what would you do if you were in the pool with us right now? And the, and the caption is like, I would kill myself in front of you and forever change the trajectory of your lives and your and forever change your bond and the trajectory of your lives. Um, so <laughs> these memories last a lifetime. It's like singing like the climb, <laughs> singing Miley at the... Like, Hannah Montana sing-along, then Revenge Suicide. Girl. This song reminds me of... I don't know what why this... I can't stop thinking about that song from the last playlist. <laughs> what he didn't do. Treat me right, put me first, be a man of his word, stay home when he wanted to. I've just been obsessed with texting all my friends about how toxic we are and just like sending sending that to guys and just being <laughs> being like treat me right put me for like <laughs> just a laundry list of um impossible boyfriend tasks wonder what he didn't do did or did not do Ugh, i'm going to be sick oh my god woo We need to lighten the mood. <laughs> Unfortunately, all Emmylou Harris songs. What's really interesting putting this playlist together is essentially because I was going through her discography of songs that she, you know, at first I thought this would be just songs that she sang background vocals on because she's an iconic background vocalist. However, the everyone uses her for the same song on their album, which is like the mournful. She's been in mourning since Graham Parsons died in 1973 or whatever. Um, what is interesting about that is, did I just say that? Um, they were never together, which is so her archetype that I'm the box that I'm putting Emmy Harrison of just being like the mousy girl in high school who becomes stunningly beautiful and then gets just like the worst boyfriend. But it's not really her boyfriend. It's just her best friend who's just a toxic guy. Um, 
You know who shares a birthday with Graham Parsons? Me. November 5th. Me, Graham Parsons, Chris Jenner, and Tilda Swinton. Let's hear a... Okay. No, I literally can't decide what to play next because they're all too mournful. <laughs> oh, this song... I haven't figured out what this is yet, but, you know, there's the classic song, Together Again. This is like a later Buck Owens, like, I think past peak Buck Owens, like a song referencing Together Again. And it's called Play Together Again. I don't know what the deal is with it. It doesn't have... If you know what the deal is with this song, let me know in the comments. Play together again, again. Let me dance her across my mind. She's still the best I ever had. Though it's been long, long. Together again, again. Bring back yesterday. Let my foolish heart pretend. Play together again. On love on the spectrum, 
it would be like, Sam likes songs that reference other songs. Just like, any song that references a song, that is going to be a good song. Um, I started watching the Ken Burns Country series. I'm not even done with the first episode. DJ Physical Therapy and Sally Spitz. Icons. Um, Both told me they watched it recently. And it's so good. (laughs) My pod is going to become so... Well, actually... Fiddlin' John Carson was from a small mill town outside of Atlanta, Germany. Now, okay, one thing I'm really realizing from the country doc is that from the beginning of recorded country music, the whole thing, some of the most popular artists were all interlopers everyone i think it was literally fiddling john carson who was like you know he sold records stacks <laughs> my money's so tall that i wanted to climb it <laughs> um That this guy was literally, like, he was a mill worker from Atlanta, but, like, he took on the persona of, like, a hillbilly from North Georgia. Because it wasn't, like, it was, like, it was poserish for him to be a mill worker in Atlanta and to, like, claim country cred. So, I actually love that. It made me be like, wait. Orville Peck, like, being a loser, sorry. Um, It's actually, that's just as much of the tradition as any of it. We're all just out here being, like, not ourselves. Pretty cool. Um, I also found out another... I was right. On the very first episode of this show, when I was talking about Oil Can Harry's being closed and it's going to be a jazz bar, when I said, of course it was jazz. Of course jazz would be behind that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> literally, literally, okay, in the 20s, Henry Ford bankrolled country records and like tried to propagate like um these like hymnal uh sheet music um like like old time hill song sheet music to because he felt that jazz was <laughs> jazz was a conspiracy by the Jews to 
to make music black in America. So it was like the MAGA. (laughs) So actually, country is the enemy of jazz because it was bankrolled by Henry Ford, who thought it was the Jews making music black and he wanted to make music great again. Did I make myself clear? <laughs> um, watch me drop more fat. Watch this space for more facts about country. Watch along with me. But I do think that's. Yeah, and all the other popular bands at the time, besides, like, the Carter family, who are actually, like, proper shack-dwelling, like, hill people, everyone was pretending to be hill person. Oh, I also learned, like, why it's called country music, because it was hill country. Um... Me and DJ Physical Therapy were saying that now we're going to be like, country music? Why are you speaking of hill country music? Hillbilly songs. Yeah, they all... It was like a lot of the most popular songwriters were just like from the North. And like pretending to be hillbillies. And so do I. Though actually I do live an extremely, genuinely, like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was going to say I do live a genuinely hillbilly lifestyle and then I looked around in my life. I was like, you're fucking dandy. (laughs) scammer dandy from the 20s more like than like a hillbilly but i do it's i was just gonna say it's just because my yard gets filled with like boxes so fast when you country things right okay i think we gotta get to trio it's the pain of loving you by dolly parton linda ronsad and emmy Harris. oh the pain of loving you oh the misery i go through never Oh, the pain of love. 
The thing about Dolly Parton is that she, you know, she really had a cultural moment again. It's extremely condescending to me the way people like Yas Queen Dolly Parton leave her alone. Just let her be fabulous without fucking ruining it. Um, watch me become the HRH collection of country music. Just being like, shut the fuck up. Um, did they write that song? Sorry. The pain of loving you. Porter Wagner and Dolly, they did that together. So I was thinking what I basically wanted to say was just, oh, it's written by Dolly and Porter. You be Dolly, I'll be Porter. Um, that Blake Shelton, Ashley Monroe. I'm gonna play that. Put that on my fucking list. You be Dolly. Um, sorry. The what the fuck. What I wanted to say about Dolly Parton is that I think that I Will Always Love You may very well be the best song of all time ever written. Do you guys agree? You ain't Dolly, sorry, and you ain't Porter. That's what it was. Not Emmy Lou Harris, sorry. Play next time. <laughs> Let's take another one of your so far extremely spookalicious creepy crawly phone calls. Hey Sam, it's your gal Amelia um phoning you from Beverly Hills. What's um, up, my Kentucky girl? I do have a spooky ghost story. I don't, you know, it was a really physical experience, so uh, translating it into words, I don't know that it will have the same effect, but Ooh, let's go. One of um, these. So I moved into my apartment in Los Feliz, which also, I have to say, is like the spooky most mm-hmm. haunted neighborhood in L.A., um, it's like Black Dahlia HQ. I moved in about six or seven years ago, and I was there for... Culture-wise, I mean. I don't know, six or seven months, and I was like, my apartment's really cute, but it doesn't feel like home. Something's kind of... Something felt off about it, I guess. Um, and then I had random things um, started to go missing, like hmm. my facial moisturizer hmm. and my brush. Um, just things that I would never like put in another place. Um, so those things were also never recovered. Um, Mm. maybe it was one of my friends pranking me, Mm. uh, but I'll never know. Um, and so shortly after things started going missing, I had an experience, um, in the middle of the night where I just randomly like jolted awake and felt, um, I kind of thought like an earthquake was happening, Mm. but 
there was like a rush of energy through my body that was very strong mm. and it was like very, very prickly and very hot. <sighs> and then it immediately flashed cold. Ugh. And then my bed started shaking. No. And I thought that um I literally thought it was an earthquake. Like I wow. got on my phone and Googled earthquake just now, Los Angeles, yeah. nothing. Um, so that, that was that. Um, nothing ever happened again. I don't know. Mm. We can think of it as like, you know, a ghost mm. happening in my body. I was possessed. Something was in my house. Anyway, they told a body worker about this, like, kind of a new agey healer woman who I saw. Um, and she said like the tropes about bed shaking and stuff. Like there's a reason that that's like so popular because I guess that is pretty common um, mm. for ghosts. But she instructed me to <sighs> stage my house and ask the spirit to leave. And mm. so I did. And I haven't had any, spooky experiences since then except for the peeping tom and the people trying to break into my house a couple weeks ago so <laughs> um amelia lives in a sketchy story. i mean literally it's just like hollywood stuff as my friends from the east coast often remark when they come to la la is just a little sketchy <laughs> it's just the vibe it's not like tangible and yet <laughs> it can be like in the case of the peeping tom i don't know sounds like aliens to me <laughs> this one file under aliens um ooh, this okay so this opens the door for my ghost story. Did I tell it already? Ooh. When I was a kid, my childhood home was, you know, we lived in an old part of New England next to the, next to a beautiful river. Our house was like 300 years old. The next door house is this huge stucco mansion. The Shining, like, was based on it. You know, it was, like, spooky. Um, huge grand ballroom. This crazy family lived next door. The fiery marriage, like, vibes. That, hi, could hear them yelling at each other from my house. But their house was like so, it was close to ours and it was kind of in an L shape. And ours was like situated in a way that my bedroom faced the back L. So their house kind of like echoed into my room. Because, like, you know, it created, like, a echo chamber, the back of their house. So it was, like, that was the first time I ever saw someone smoking weed was these kids when they were, like, 13, my neighbors. And it's, like, 
you know the neighbors who live right next door and you're like, I don't like you. <laughs> when you're a kid. When you're a little kid. Um, so, that yeah. So I saw them. That was the first time I saw someone smoking weed was like peeking from my window. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, I need to do that. And look at me now. I can smoke whenever I want. Um, And they were also the family that had the big screen TV. What's crazy is that I will literally post the real estate listing for this house on the Patreon. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget. Um, Because I found the real estate listing and the pictures are all of their stuff. Like the big screen TV, which was like the biggest screened TV I had ever seen at the time, is in the real the like Redfin real estate listing. Um, they were also the kids who were like, "You can't use that toy because you'll break it." They were greedy. They did not share. Um, and and. Their house scared me as, like, a visitor. When I was, like, playing with them, it was very, like, the scene in The Shining with, like, the three-wheeler where I was, like, (laughs) running around. Because it was a house that was so big and they were, like, a family of five. It was a house so big that a lot of the upstairs rooms were just completely empty, like, spooky maids quarters and shit like peeling wallpaper and we would like go up there and then I would suddenly be like alone and like a chill would run down my spine so one night I was probably like 10 I wake up and I hear someone walking in the back around the back of their house that had this sort of concrete patio. And it was like clip-clop. The It was like the sound of dress shoes on concrete. Clip-clop. Clip-clop. And I swear to God. And I was not like a child of incredible fancy. You know, I wasn't... I wasn't prone to flights of fancy. I was not being like, mother, mother, I saw a unicorn today. I was a grounded 10-year-old. And I did not ever have dreams that seemed like reality or any shit like that. So I woke up, was conscious. And you hear the clip, clop, clip, clop. And I swear to God... Someone whistling a old-timey tune. <laughs> oh, it's so cute that the little birds are. <laughs> Whenever I sing, the birds come and sing with me. <laughs> and sometimes I'm just like, stop. Stop singing. I'm singing. So I hear clip-clop. I hear this old whistle. 
I open the curtain to look out in the back patio and it stops and it's over. (laughs) And it's like, I know that that happened because I never forgot that it happened. You know, I didn't like remember it later. Oh yeah, that happened. It's like, I never forgot it from that moment forward. It was like, So what do you say about that? What's the explanation? I wanted to do a little more on Trio because there's such fun clips from this movie. So I think I'll gather that up right now. Uh, let's take a listen to a track that Amelia, the bed shaking queen. Oh, her bed was shaking. All right. Um, Amelia first brought my attention to this. Good ass. (laughs) Emmy Harris track called. White shoes.
Let's just keep it moving right along with another Emmy Lou solo track. This is Amarillo from Elite Hotel. Okay, I was looking up Emmylou Harris's, like, love life, TMZ much. Um, I was just curious, because I know she's been married three times, and uh, found this New York Times article from 2000, the year. Um, just so well written that... I thought it it summed up Amy Lou Harris's whole trajectory quite eloquently. Uh, Freelance writers of today. (laughs) Look to the past. Look to the not-so-distant past for uh, examples of better writing. 
Essentially, what I liked about this article called The Romance of Remorse <clears throat> from September 3rd, 2000. was the way it sort of revealed, like, who what the character of Graham Parsons was. Because Graham Parsons was essentially, like, a cool guy who then, like, made country his... He was, like, the indie rocker country guy. At a time when, like, hippies hated country because the ideals were so conservative. <laughs> um, basically, this article says she was born in Birmingham, Alabama, 1947, the daughter of a Marine fighter pilot and the valedictorian of her class in Woodbridge, Virginia. She started listening to folk music. It's like she was in her room doing her homework. It's like, Roses fall in the air and gazes flashing everywhere. <laughs> Judy Collins song, I hate don't know why. Just always hated it. Um, what is that song called? So she starts playing like Joan Baez songs. She moves to Greenwich Village in 1968. She marries a singer-songwriter. They have a baby. They need to leave the city. They're too freaked out. They move back in with her parents. She's playing at a bar in D.C. That's where Graham Parsons' bandmates see her for the first time. And this article refers to him as the country rock star and scapegrace genius rich boy Harvard dropout. Graham Parsons. Under Parsons' chaotic tutelage on recordings and on tour, Harris not only began to hear the virtuosity in country musicians like Hank Williams, but also started to find her real voice and her own eclectic taste for the first time. And that is the thing. She's got really good taste. Because she's not, she doesn't always write songs that she plays. Then, in 1973, Parsons died as a result of a drug overdose. Harris has often described this event in traumatic terms. An amputation. When the meteor hit the earth. She and Parsons were not lovers. Their consummation was musical, not physical. But she kept the flame and perhaps carried a rescue fantasy torch. <laughs> Ouch! But true <laughs> for Grant, for Parsons from that point on. 
In the mid-70s, Harris became a country music star. She made eight gold albums and three platinum albums. Had five number one hits. She's won nine Grammy Awards and has toured tirelessly around the world for more than 20 years. As the 80s wore on into the 90s and Nashville's welcome for traditional country musicians wore out in favor of male hat acts, slick production, and Shania Twain's navel, shady, Harris refused to hang up her own hat. She kept it on and began to experiment with even more eclectic material. It may not have, it may not have improved her commercial success, but this... Perseverance has given her a strong reputation for musical openness among other musicians. It has also earned her a public following that often falls off the cliff of fandom into idolatry. She has sponsored many performers and songwriters during her career, assembled and presided over three stellar bands, and been a generous duettist. One Emmylou Harris fan club estimate of her stints singing backup for other artists is 283, second only to Willie Nelson. I think it would be so fun to have a career where you sing backup on a ton of stuff. I'm available. <laughs> I'm a bit, I'm available for backup gigs. No, I think like my kind of voice sounds bad saying backup actually, but <laughs> HMU. This next track is another tragic alcoholic that Emmylou Harris generously donated her talents to. It's Keith Whitley. Tell me, would these arms be in your way? From his album, Don't Close Your Eyes. Would you like to hear I love you all the time? And if you couldn't turn around without us touching, would you mind? You know there's something missing around your waist. Tell me, would these arms be in your way? Would you mind another heart beating for you? Two ears that listen, you can talk to. This is filled with feeling on your face Now tell me, 
with these arms be in your way. officially say that my policy on saying something twice is that I'm just going to let it flow because I never mind it when I'm listening to podcast or whatever. And there's like the person, listen, we all do it in the industry where we're like, have we talked about this on the pod before? And it's like, no one cares. However, there is nothing more humbling than when you're telling someone a story. You're like gearing up for a story and they're being like, oh, yeah, you told me. I'm just like, what? (laughs) Sorry. You. (laughs) This story. Let's take another one of your spooky, spooky calls um hey sam hello fellow buckheads okay i didn't know there was a three minute limit that's actually kind of crazy <laughs> um i'll try to keep it brief um love the pod i love listening to it on a uh, long drive i imagine people in la like to kind of just methodically wash their dishes and gaze out the window and you know think about what their life could have been uh <laughs> if they lived on the east coast anyways okay so i went upstate uh last fall like november the two friends, we rented an Airbnb in Germantown, New York. Uh, I know. If you're well. in town, please go to the restaurant Gaskins. It's incredible. It's like a weird low-key celeb hot spot in the middle of nowhere. Anyways, that's my pro tip to all of you. Um, so anyways, I'm I, good. we were there for two nights. The first night, everything was fine. We're at a farmhouse. The house on a farm uh, that used to clearly be like a weird, like industrial, like, thing they convert into like a just a two level house anyway so i'm i feel so rushed because of the three minute time on that anyway yeah, okay. i'll speed it up um <laughs> first night nothing was weird second night i wake up in the middle of the night uh we're going back to the city the next day and uh i i try not to like drink before i go to the city 
because if I have a hangover, driving into the city gives me, like, panic attacks. So I was, like, literally True. so normal and, like, so <laughs> chill. Um, I go to bed. I wake up at, like, 4 a.m., and I hear, like, all these, like, blood-curdling sounds from, like, wild dogs, maybe coyotes, from, like, the farmhouse next door. And it was, like, so crazy. I, it oh. was I, – I can't believe I didn't record these sounds somehow. Um. It, it was just, uh, it sounded like they were, like, a, a pack of, like, farm dogs being attacked by, like, wolves, but they're all being attacked by something else. It was so deeply unsettling. And again, like I said, I wasn't even drunk or on any substance. I was, like, the most sober I've ever been. Um, so that's alarming. Uh, and I go back to bed. I wake up an hour and a half later. Uh, my bathroom is attached to my bedroom. I take a piss and I go back to bed and like I'm trying to get comfortable and then feel the room get cold. No. Um, and I am a Virgo. I'm a homosexual. I like kind of believe in ghosts, but I've never had like an actual ghost experience. Um, so I'm like, Oh, that's, this feels weird. It feels terrible. Like something is wrong. And then it gets colder and colder. And I'm like feeling a chill to my bone that I've never really felt before. And that's where the story ends. <laughs> Should I leave the Dan, uh, the dial Dan to be continued on the next episode of camp. I'm just kidding. He left a part two. Um, just off the bat, I am going to say that now that I live essentially in the state park, I will, I can attest to the fact that pretty much every animal sound in the night, um, is what I would call blood curdling. <laughs> like every, every animal that makes sound in the night, um, is really <laughs> just like from hell, like the ones that I get here are so specific, and it's really, literally funny how many owls I live amongst. And just the level at which... I mean, the owls are the least spooky thing. But there is this one. I know I've talked about this. The owl that makes the ascending laughter sound. It's so fucking blood-curdling. What? It goes, and it sounds like a little monkey laughing at you. The first time I heard it, I was getting out of my car, and I was just like, <laughs> I'm moving. I um also have regret of, like, the two times the husky came in my house. Well, I took pictures the first time, but the second time when I came home and the husky was in my bed, I didn't take any pictures. It sucks. And I did this whole thing where I was like, oh, you. But I was just too busy living in the moment, I guess. Here is Dial Dan, part two. Okay, I'm back. Um, I don't understand this time limit. Your podcast is literally like 
1700 hours long. Okay. Anyway, so I was doing like the juiciest <laughs> part of the story, which is that I was laying in bed, a, a chill came about the air, and it was November. I'm like, okay, it's literally just cold, but also mm-hmm. like, this house is like basically brand new. They like mm. renovated this old, um, structure, whatever. Um, but it was a chill that I've never really felt, and I was like, oh no. I just was like, truly, I couldn't move my bed. And then I felt someone put their arm next to my bed, and my, my bed moved. The bed moved. I, like, kind of slouched back a little bit. I was like, oh, no. Because earlier in the day, like, you know, my, my friend, like, asked to use my bathroom. So in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe he's just, like, drunk and needs to use the bathroom and is, like, leaning over to wake me up to ask to use the bathroom. But he has his own bathroom. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. another, there's another bathroom. There's so many bathrooms. There's like three bedrooms, three bathrooms. So he wouldn't have to use it. Um, so, uh, I was just kind of like frozen in terror waiting for him to like wake me up and that didn't happen. And I'm like, oh no. And I felt a presence lay down next to me and almost like spoon me. You're um, joking. Like get into bed with me and then literally pass through me. You're. And I was like, oh my god, no. This is, this is horrible. And like, it's ha- I'm like, the, the, the dog before, I was already just kind of on edge. Whoa. Um, <laughs> this whole night was like so spooky, so scary. Um, <clears throat> so I like eventually fall back asleep, which takes hours. And then like, we have to wake up and like check out. And I didn't tell anyone my story that I was there with. I don't want to freak them out. Yeah. But then when you get back to the city, I talked to my friend who I thought was waking up in the middle of the night. And he was like, oh, shit. Like, I had something weird happen to me, too. Like, I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Not my bathroom. A different bathroom. And uh, he saw, he thought his backpack was in the way of his bed or in the corner of the bed. And he went to, like, kick it to, like, move it. And it wasn't a backpack. It was just, like, a black shadowy mass. And he was so scared that he couldn't talk about it either. We both had these like parallel ghost stories. Oh. Um, I think I'm under the limit still. Just I'm not going to leave a third fucking voicemail. But yeah, you better not. I hope that sounds legible. Um, again, like I'm not a ghost denier. I'm not a huge ghost believer either. But like something fucking weird happened in Germantown, New York. Uh, thank you all for listening. Again, that's Patreon.com/dial underscore underscore Dan. Um, <laughs> Keep up the good work, Sam. I love the country music. Oh, shit. Cut him off right at the compliment. You love the country music. What word was he going to say? Um, You know what is crazy about ghost stories and alien stories? Is that they are just actually like, like the most cliche one is the one that like just happens to everyone and the thing with aliens is that it's like so then we're all sitting here just being like flying saucers and then it's like then it's like the cia being like we have seen flying saucers (laughs) it's just like really They actually turned out to be flying saucers. The room actually turned out to be cold from a ghost that was sitting on your bed.
once again. Goosebumps. <laughs> Goose. Goosemus bumpumus <laughs> of just the feeling when the bumps are goosed. A truly. Oh, I hate the backpack. You know what's crazy is that I literally live in the scariest looking place and it is so not haunted feeling. Thank fucking God. Because Topanga, it's like, if it's not cursed, it definitely should be. The most cursed people on earth live here. Besides me. Our next track is, I believe, Emmylou Harris's most well-known composition. Um... I don't think she's a terribly prolific songwriter. Same. <laughs> um, this song's called Boulder to Birmingham. It is the track that she wrote about Graham Parsons. I would rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Hey, I would hold my life in his saving grace. I would walk all the way from Boulder to Birmingham if I thought I could see your face. Oh my God. Not me just getting chills of emotion and goosebumps of fear. (laughs) This whole episode. This is a... A beautiful version of Emmylou Harris's track Boulder to Birmingham by the Hollies band famous for Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress, Five Nine Beautiful Tall. If 
Calling from the Hollywood Hills. Um, in 2012, uh, I lived in Bethesda, Maryland, where I'm from, and um, I went to a pretty new Lululemon that opened up, mm-hmm. and I went with a friend, and we were just kind of hanging out in this Lululemon, couldn't really afford anything, but we were like chatting up the sales associate. And um, we had been in this yoga class, like after school yoga, and were for some reason telling this lady about it. And she was like, I know your instructor. I know her husband because uh, her husband's my doctor. And that man saved my life. And she kept saying, that man saved my life. Like huh. I had this big leg injury and blah, 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 and he saved my life. And it was like a really random connection. And, and we were like, that's crazy. Okay. That's not part of the story. So then uh, we go home, whatever. Next day, news comes out. That woman who kept saying, that man saved my life, was murdered in cold blood by her coworker. And if you are familiar with the story, basically how it goes is that her coworker, or she caught her coworker stealing Lululemon merch. And uh, the coworker, like... They're, like, closing up shops. She, uh, I guess, kills her with, like, shit in the store with, like, yoga masks and crowbars and stuff. Oh. And then she, like, stages it to look like they were, um, like, the store was broken into. So she, like, pushes her in the closet and Whoa. she spends the night in the closet with a dead body and, like, beats them up so it looks like they were, like, attacked and assaulted. Um, and then, so originally it came out that one of them was murdered and it was, like, a robbery and, like, rape when someone broke in when they were closing up shops. Um, and then later it was found out that this uh, co-worker had moved her car as to avoid a parking ticket. Um, because she would rather get caught for murder than get a parking ticket, I guess. But anyways, um, and so, and yeah, and so it turned out that that's what had happened. And also there's footage of, um, there's an Apple store next door and there's footage of the employees in the Apple store because it's happened at like 10 p.m. in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, employees like listening to the wall and hearing like screaming and stuff and then being like, huh? And like 
like listening and then like going back to work and then going back and listening and being like, what's going on? Anyways, and it's like in textbooks now as an example of the bystander effect a la Kitty Genevieve. But anyways, I was in Lululemon the night of its famous murder. Whoa. (laughs) My jaw has been dropped on the... The way I do these calls is that I don't listen to them until I'm about to record the episode. So it's like I never really know what I'm going to get. I will tell you that I've never gotten a disappointing call thus far. Greer, you've kind of got this sort of like Grim Reaper-ish thing going on. (laughs) Whoa. I was actually with my friend in a Macy's in... Woodland Hills, um, which is like down the hill from Topanga. I consider myself a bit of a valley girl, uh, but I'm like, up. I sort of look down on the valley from this angle. Uh, I was at Macy's with my friends, Kevin and Emily. And then we like left and we were like eating afterwards and we were just like looking at, you know, whatever. And it was like armed robbery at the Topanga Westfield Macy's just now. Like while we were there, it happened. Never would have known it was a seamless shopping experience. And this is why retail is not dead. Whoa. Gruesome. Lululemon. Jesus. Lululemon. Murder. Bethesda. Yep. Oh. Oh, you were young, babe. Whoa. At a Lululemon Athletica store. I didn't realize Lululemon is like Botanica, like Athletica. Ooh. I have been taking pictures of my goosebumps um, throughout. <laughs> I guess I'll post a slideshow. I'm going to post a slideshow of my goosebumps. The dude hack was not premeditated. Yeah. Norwood lured Murray back to the store after closing by claiming to have left her Metro card behind, then after a brief argument attacked her, inflicting 331 injuries, including head trauma and stab wounds. Y'all, this is... Yikes. The defense argued for a connection of second-degree murder, claiming the attack was not premeditated. Murray died in the store's back hallway, after which Norwood staged a crime scene and claimed that intruders had raped both women and killed Murray. Oh, God. This one doesn't make me, like, feel... It's like... Mm, Certain murders really do, um... have bad vibes. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
our next track on the Emmylou Harris playlist is Linda. Um, this is a track. So Linda Ronstadt and Emmylou Harris are essentially besties. And they do both have this sort of like halting nerdiness about them, which I find really endearing. Um, did any of you guys watch the Linda Ronstadt documentary? She no longer can sing because of Parkinson's. Um, but Linda Ronstadt is such an enigma. She never got married. And the documentary makes it seem very much just like that no man has ever like like men don't define Linda Ronstadt's life. The arc of her life is not um, shaped by her relationships. Refreshing. But uh, I never really understood like culturally who Linda Ronstadt was and I guess I still don't really her eclectic career like her genre flexibility it's cool very 80s this is a pretty traditional sounding country song from her album Heart Like a Wheel. This is the album that has You're no good, you're no good, you're no good. This song is I Can't Help It If I'm Still in Love With You. Linda Ronstadt featuring Emily Harris.
Each long day rolls by and falls behind me In the lonely night there's a peacefulness I found Though I'm weary even then When I rise to start again There'll be a diamond A diamond in my crown I have wasted all that life has laid before me I have watched as all the green fields turn to brown But I shall not disavow All these times that burn me now There'll be a diamond, a Shining down someday, I know Brighter than all the streets of gold When the burdens that I carry I will lay down And the sorrows I have known I see them all Then the closer I will be to my sweetest victory, there'll be a diamond, a diamond in my crown. Gorgeous. We needed to do kind of a vibe. A clearing of the vibe. I'm saging this. I'm saging this podcast right now of just like, ooh, bad juju. I don't want you guys to think that I'm just sort of laughing at death over here. I do oftentimes laugh in the face of death. No, um, that it's like my laughter, my morbid laughter is more just at the, um, absurdity of the like level of the depths of depravity and despair that we as a human race inflict upon each other it's hilarious there is a sort of one has to laugh not i mean I wanted to play a little bit of the documentary about the making of the Trio album with Emmy Lou, Linda Ronstadt, and Dolly Parton. This is the part where they talk about meeting 
for the first time. When I can easily understand how you could easily take my man, but you don't know what he means to me, to me. In 1974, after seven years with Porter, Dolly decided to go it alone. Nashville's music rose buzzing today over yesterday's bombshell announcement, the $3 million lawsuit by Porter Wagner against Dolly Parton. The suit charges Dolly with breach of contract. Dolly had a lot of faith in herself. Dolly believed she could do it on her own. It was very nervy, though, for a woman in country music to do what she did which was to break out of her mentor's shadow, which was Porter Wagoner, leave his show, go out on her own as a solo artist, and try to make it on her own. Dolly got herself big-time LA management and went Hollywood with her own country show. Ladies and gentlemen, Dolly Parton. The attitude in Nashville at the time was, well, she's leaving country music, and we don't like her, and you know, this and that. And Dolly famously said, I'm not leaving country, I'm taking it with me, which is exactly what she did. This guy's such a little weasel. Country was the blue-collar sound of the rural south, so it seemed unlikely that a cool country curator would be captivated by Dolly. This next song Referring to Emmy Lil. is uh, written by Dolly Parton. And this is her, like... She did Dolly's song, Coat of Many Colors, every night. And, you know, her eyes would sparkle. You know, like, I'm doing a Dolly Parton song. And so This is her, like, wearing the leather cuffs with fringe on them. Like, in a full blue, like, share outfit. Gorgeous. Coat of Many Colors was, be, had become one of my favorite songs when I got into country. And, of course, there was when a certain folk country. element to Dolly's, too, because a lot of her writing was very storytelling. Mama sewed the rags together Sewing every piece with love She made my coat of many colors That I was so proud of To her audience, you know, which is counterculture audience, really, at the time, it was like, I'm Crow. introducing you to this great artist that you may not know about. Oh, No idea they knew me or liked me. I just remembered loving the records. A shared interest in harmony led to them becoming friends. I first invited Dolly when she came out to California because she's still living in Nashville. And when I knew she was coming over, the first thing I did was call Linda. I said, I'll be right there. So I got in my car and zoomed over as fast as That's... I could. And you know, they were sitting on the sofa talking, and I came in, and we talked for a second, and so then the guitar cute. came out. And they were all excited to meet me. I was all excited to meet them. And so we said, well, we have to sing something. And we started singing Carter family song, Bury Me Beneath the Willow. And this is when the pictures and the docs start becoming unbearably iconic. <laughs> like, any picture of the three of them together is just like... Yes. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is such a great sound. And it was like, bam, that sound was there. And we just all, were all kind of shocked by it. You know, we just went, wow, that's really something that's different from what we usually do with other musicians that we jam and play and sing with. Jam and play and sing with. In 1976, the trio took their sound public when Dolly invited them onto her show. That particular episode was different 
than all of the other Dolly episodes. The other Dolly episodes had kind of fakey banter and jokes and junk. And this one of all of the shows in that series was the most purely musical. My mama used to sing a weasel. song called The Sweetest Gift when she was a little girl. Condescending little weasel vibe. Had on it and she asked me if I'd have you sing it today. So would you do that? Sure, this, well, is okay. for, uh, this is for your mama, right? And uh, this is for your mama. I don't know, I mean... Linda came from a singing family, and you certainly yeah, came from a singing did. family, so I was really loving it. She did not and I don't come from a singing family either. <laughs> so, can relate. As eager students of Dolly, Emmylou and Linda were excited by what she added to the music. The mm -hmm. uniting thread is the mountain heritage the Appalachian sound that Dolly just brings naturally to the music because that's who she is. Hill country music. <laughs> Am I? I'm a bully. It's kind of... Am I a bully? <laughs> she had this authenticity for that mountain music that we both loved but didn't feel we had the right Yes, we would sing it, but she was the real deal. This is what I'm saying, though. She came oh, out of the foothills and mountains of eastern Tennessee with the real thing. The real thing. Rodney Crowell talks like Bill Clinton. Rodney Crowell, I'm uh, obsessed with right now. He was married to Roseanne Cash and produced, like, her most famous albums. King's Record Shop. Seven Year Ache. Um, and he also was in Emmy Lou Harris's band and he also wrote really good track. I'm going to play in a little bit. So listening to this, it's just like, is the central question that country poses as a genre, um, like, authenticity what does that it's like if country is supposed to be three chords and the truth but it's also like the sort of um theater we're getting into like orville peck territory now <laughs> just like i'm getting dangerously close to accepting the uh premise of his whole thing <laughs> no no never the next track I want to play is actually the first Emily Harris song I got into I think in high school my friend um, played me this track from Wrecking Ball which was produced by Daniel Lanois the man responsible for, like, the 90s, like, musical rehab of Bob Dylan. He's got a very reverb-drenched sort of, like, bayou 
sound. And he also produced, like, the really famous U2 albums. I think this was a, like, career reset for Emily Harris, too. And this is the first track from Wrecking Ball, Where Will I Be? It's kind of, to me, like, the peak of VH1 mid-90s folk rock sound. And I love it!
Those drums, the weight of those drums, does 90s record production get any better than that? And this was so my taste in music in high school, too. Super serious indie women. <laughs> um, that was a good track. What was I going to say? <laughs> uh, circling back to... Um, I Will Always Love You, being the best song of all time. That was just my gay child anthem. And I remember, for some reason, I, whenever we went to a restaurant... I would ask my parents if I could go put the Whitney Houston version on the jukebox, which I'm just like, did I grow up in the forties? <laughs> like, <laughs> but maybe we just always went to a restaurant with a jukebox. Hmm. My world was so small then because I was so small. Uh, yeah, it was like my entire childhood, like my gay signifiers were that I was obsessed with I Will Always Love You and Tanya Harding. Like I was obsessed with Tanya Harding before she did, did or did not do anything. <laughs> because my childhood babysitters, like growing up, Seacoast, New Hampshire... Driving a Bronco, bangs, teased out. These are what I remember as, like, my babysitter and her friends and, like, sister and stuff. Um, riding in my babysitter's Bronco, like, standing Tanya Harding. And so, like... So, like, when the shit hit the fan with Tanya, you know, as a fan, just being like, well, <laughs> like, innocent until that was my first taste of knowing that you're innocent until proven guilty. Let's take a phone call from my beloved. Like, speaking of my homeland, my beloved dear friend, Mary Beep, I don't know if she was, um, left a spooky voicemail. Let's fucking go. Hey, Sam. Um, it's me. Um, my byline can be whatever you want it to be, but it's Mary, if you didn't tell um, so I have two stories, and I'm just, it's probably going to be two messages, but I'll start with, um, the one that came first, I guess, chronologically, we'll, we'll, we'll go chronological. 
Um, this was probably 2002, maybe, maybe 2001. Um, it takes place in a little town called Amesbury. Um, what, what? I was in high school and so I very appropriately was hanging out with my ex-boyfriend who, yes, does have a neck tattoo. Um, and he <laughs> was with his friend who, it's like the, you know, type of Amesbury Italian mm-hmm. kid who wears a drug rug type of dude, you know. Um, we were in a truck and I we know. were parked at Lake Adatash, aka <laughs> Lake Add Some Trash, am I right? <laughs> um, so yeah, we Can were in the car, we were year? sitting and like at Lake Adatash, um, and they were talking, it was me, Miranda, and then they were in the front, and they oh, were talking right. about this UFO that everybody at the lake, that like lives at the lake, would see all the time. Huh. Um, and we were like, yeah, sure, whatever, like, you guys are obviously insane. And like, no sooner had we said it, than we see these lights across the lake, sort no. of like rise up into the air. And it was like a disc of light, and it rose up into the air and directly across the lake, and just kind of rotated as it moved across the lake. And it got a little bit higher, but but not by too much um, as it as it kind of traversed the lake. Um, it was really hard to see how big it was, but it was just like a spinning disc of light that just. Mary. flew over the lake and then over the truck and it was like a known thing um, if, you, if you live on the lake Stop. like you know super lame druggies with very bad white kid yeah. dreads would see it but so would you know super lame republican dads wow. like it was like a known thing to Brought see this disc of light um what? And they were like, oh, yeah, when it gets, like, kind of further over the lake, it speeds up and gets really high. And it did. It, like, sped up super fast and got really high and just, like, took off. (laughs) And I remember, like... That's it. (laughs) Mary, you saw a flag saucer? (laughs) You, You saw a flying saucer? Mary never told me she's fucking seen a flying saucer at Lake Adatash. And it's always just like, I took a hit of DMT and then I saw this. Um... <clears throat> well, uh, oh, there's a part two. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, pretty much from then on, if I met someone that like grew up on the, in the sort of like neighborhood around like Atatash or, um, like was a teen around that time and this came out like some sort of like spooky stuff came up, I would ask and like so many people from that time remember it happening, but no one ever found out like what it was. It's just like completely unexplained Uh, random thing. Like, I know what it now was. Now it's obvious. It would be like a drone or whatever, like a yeah. uh, you know RV type 
like RC, Harvey, yeah. RC type thing, right? But like, it was like 2001, and that it was, yeah, it was just so that weird. Is the and thing. I feel like there was nothing on that side of the lake, the like where it was coming from. So, but anyway, um, and then the second one, I'm kind of like hemming and hawing if I should tell the story of how my house is a murder house or how Oof. I, <laughs> um, like convened and got ice cream with a murderer. Yes. I mean, the second one's juicier, but I feel like the people involved would be upset if I told it. So I'm going to go with how my house is a murder house, which is that when we bought the house, we had no idea that there was massive beef between the people that we bought the house from, who also owned the neighboring house, and the other neighbors. Um, We'll call them the Pleasons. Um, Anyway, they... Apparently had this huge beef when our other neighbors who we bought the house from finally moved from the neighboring house. They left us this note that detailed the whole relationship and said that the son, the um, older son of the, the Pleason family, had this penchant for starting fires. And we knew our house had burned down um, and that an, a man, the man who lived here, had died. Um, but this letter was like, yeah, he set the fire. Like, he killed this guy. Like, two nights before Christmas 1978 um, that this old man died in the house where I now live. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, it was like, the letter was just like, it was totally arson. It was murder. Like, the dude was murdered. Um, And I was like, ah, that seems insane. So I I went to newspaperarchives.org, newspapers.com, finding information, and I find out that, like, yep, they investigated the fire, but, like, I couldn't find any findings on it. And then I started talking to people in the neighborhood who lived there, and it's like an open secret. It's like, yeah, like he set the fire. Um, and the creepy part for me, I think, uh, is that in the newspaper oh. articles I found, it was like he went in, this boy that like allegedly set this fire or open secret set this fire. He tried to enter the home to save the man. Whoa. And that's where the voicemail cuts off. Cliffhanger boots. Um, we gotta get Mary on the show. Also, literally, I have a pot of water boiling that's been slowly coming to a boil while you were telling that story. Cinema Verite at its finest. There is only one song we can play after that story. This morning is Monday. Where are you now? Teasing my memory, teaching me how to lay low. When I don't want to. Well, love is elusive. This I know now. It's making me crazy, leaving me out. Thank you. 
saw a flying saucer? Let me get this straight. Mary saw a flying saucer? I just had this thought, what if Orville Peck was my drag daughter? <laughs> what if me and Orville Peck did a all about Eve? <coughs> God literally strikes me down. <laughs> wow. This is a, these are the first words I've said today. I'm a little hungover. <clears throat> Yikes. <laughs> well, I sound amazing, at least. <laughs> Coughing hard into the mic. <laughs> oh, God. I did the Celebrity Book Club live show last night in LA with my dear besties, Lily and Steven. Um, what a nightmare. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just was so scared. And they were kind of just like, you're not scared. You're a performer. It's like, I do have to say that, um, I did stop trying to be funny on stage when I'm doing music now, and um, that has been freeing, because <laughs> I used to try and toss in a little joke here and there, and then I always just get, I like to be prepared, and for comedy, it's like, you cannot really prepare, or you can, but you can't. So I get to the Virgil last night, which I've never been to, but from my years of DJing for the John Early comedy show here, I have just, I have more than a passing familiarity with the LA comedy world, but, uh, never been to the Virgil. I walked in the crowd stuffed to the. Lillian Steven went to the audience store and bought the whole place. It was like packed audience when I got there 35 minutes before the show. Everyone seated. Like, stuffed. And I walked in the room and I was literally like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like run away in a moment of horrifying fear <laughs> like of just like and when I went on the stage I, to talk to them I was like shaking and then we got into it and I got into the flow but it was just like y'all I did not sign up for this but it was so cute huge success and at midnight, the new Miranda Lambert album came out. She sent a classic, terse little email to us all, to the Ran fans this morning. My new album, Palomino, is out now. You'll visit 36 different places as you travel through this record, period. 
you'll meet tons of characters like Katie with a K and the trucker Dwayne, period. The halting phrases. It's like, you know Miranda wrote it herself because it's so halting. <laughs> you'll, you'll get acquainted with old friends like Geraldine and visit places we've already been together like Waxahachie. Enjoy the trip, y'all, period. <laughs> Miranda. <laughs> Enjoy the trip, y'all. Um, I guess I gotta review this one. Strike while the iron's hot. Um, this has been such a fun episode. I'm gonna call it now. I think we just <laughs> we just past our classic 2.5 hour mark. I have more spooky calls. And I'm going to get Mary on the phone for the next episode so we can talk about that friggin' flying saucer she saw. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I also need to talk about the Casey Musgraves Architectural Digest article. If you guys want some homework to do. <laughs> Uh, as always, please like and comment on the Patreon, uh, only because it makes me feel good, <laughs> literally. Um, your my commenters are so, so beloved to me. Uh, make sure to make your voice be heard on the message board. <laughs> uh... You know what's crazy is that the episodes are all pretty much the exact same length. Because, you know, there's one person who tells me when the episode is over. And that would be the man upstairs. This last song... I could not stop listening to these past few weeks as Mr. Willie Nelson himself says this song is written by Rodney Crow <laughs> sorry I am sounding so rough <laughs> As we part. I do hope you will enjoy this track as much as I have. And I will catch you next time on KFM Country Radio. This is Willie Nelson featuring Emily Harris on background vocals live at Harris Casino. 1978, Las Vegas. The crowd is rowdy as hell. That kind of 70s style of drunk that you just don't see anymore. Oh, there's another one of those damn engines again. <laughs> it's really boiling my blood. Uh, it's a beautiful song, though. 
if only these damn motor <laughs> engines weren't ruining my radio show. No, um, beautiful track by Rodney Crowell, Till I Gain Control Again. Hope you all enjoy. Besos. Didn't mean to run off there. I got hung up back there. I'd like to do a new song for you. This is a song that Rodney Crowell wrote called Till I Gain Control Again. All right, we'll do that one too. Just like the sun over the mountaintop. You know I'll always come again. Spend my morning time like sunlight dancing on your skin. And I have never gone so wrong as for telling lies. To you what you've seen is what I've been there is nothing that I can hide from you See me better than I can Out on the road that lies before me now There are some turns where I
Landmark a sailor's journey's end No matter what sea But I've been sailing all